Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. praise he's worthy he's worthy we love you lord we praise you we magnify you we glorify you we exalt you hallelujah 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 oh what a great god he is what great services we've had this weekend and it's it's been my delight my privilege and my honor to be here thank you for all the kindness that you've shown me enjoyed the fellowship, uh, the nice hotel room, and the gift basket made for a king. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and just, I've enjoyed myself tremendously, uh, like you said, you know, not just in the pulpit, in service, but outside, uh, fellowshipping with your pastor and his family, and I love and appreciate them very much, and I'm excited about what God is doing and what God is going to do in the future in this church, and I believe that God's got some great things in store uh, for this church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke, the 19th chapter. Luke, the 19th chapter. We'll read verse number 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to simply borrow those last four words of this verse from the words of Jesus, and I want to preach to you on that which was lost. Would you set your Bibles down, lift your hands and hearts to heaven one more time. Let's talk to the Lord in this house. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence, your spirit, your anointing. God, I'm asking you to move right now, God. Move in this house. Move on me, God. Anoint me to preach your word. Anoint your people to hear your word. God, to receive your word. And God, let us not just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of the word. God, let us leave this house tonight different than what we walked in. Challenge us and change us by your spirit and by your word tonight. And we give you praise for what you're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, do it one more time. He's worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. You can be seated this evening. You know, there's a lot of scriptures that people quote that aren't even in the Bible. And then there's scriptures that people misquote that are in the Bible. And the scripture I read to you tonight, it often gets misquoted because some people say that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or he came to seek and to save those that are lost. But the actual wording says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And to find out what the that is, you have to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the third chapter. When sin entered the Garden of Eden, when sin entered Adam and Eve's life, the Bible says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said, Where art thou? So sin put a separation between God and man. And it was a separation because in the garden, God and man had communion with each other. They had relationship with each other. And what was uh, severed there was the relationship between God and man. It was something that God would spend the rest of the Bible orchestrating and working to a time where He would come in the likeness of that same sinful flesh and bring that relationship back uh, to humanity. And, and Jesus even goes a step further when He is talking to the woman on the well at, in John, the fourth chapter, in verse 23, he says, The hour cometh and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. So what was lost that Jesus came to seek and to save was that relationship and that worship from mankind. Because that's what, in essence, that's what worship really is. Worship is relationship with Him. And I want you to understand the major difference between worship and praise tonight. To praise God, all you have to do is have breath in your lungs. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Anyone can praise God. That's why you see people that curse God in their music and in their movies. If they win an award, one of the first things they do is they say, I want to praise my Savior Jesus Christ for winning this award. Because anybody can praise God. If you have breath in your lungs, you can praise Him. But I want you to notice something in the book of 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, a very familiar story. The Bible tells us that the Amalekites had invaded the land of Judah. We know what the word Judah represents, praise. And they took their stuff. They invaded the land and they took their wives. They took their children. They took their gold, their silver, their clothing, their food, their livestock. They took everything they had and they invaded the land of Judah and took their possessions. Because the enemy knows that your praise is determined by what you possess. And he understands that if he can take your possessions, he can take your praise. So the enemy will come into our lives and he'll begin stealing things from us because he understands that that's what praise is. Because praise says, I'm going to praise God for my car and I'll praise God for my job and I praise God for my wife and children and I praise God for money in the bank. And the enemy says, what well, if I can begin to take those things from them, I'll be able to take their praise from them. 
See, praise is easy tonight. Praise doesn't come at a price. But worship comes at a price. Worship comes through relationship. Worship takes it a step further than what praise does. Like I said, anyone can praise God, but not everybody can worship God. See, worship says, I, I don't feel like praising you, God, but my, my relationship says, I'll worship you. I'm sick in my body, but my relationship says, I'll worship you as the healer. I've got lost family members, but my relationship says, I'll worship you as a savior. The bills are due, and I don't have any money in the bank, but relationship says, I'll worship you as my way maker. I don't feel like praising you right now, God, but I'm going to step into a realm of worship because of my relationship with you. So even when I don't feel like it, and even when I don't see it, and even though I don't understand what I'm going through, my relationship pushes me past praise, and my relationship says, worship him tonight. In one of I guess you could call it a disturbing story, one of the most disturbing stories in all the Bible. God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Abraham had another son at that time, but that son was born outside the promise. It was born in the flesh, and God only, God only uh, takes notice of what is born in the spirit. And he said, take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, the Bible tells us in Genesis 22 and 5, that Abraham said unto the young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. That, that, that makes me believe that Abraham might have been a country boy. We're going to go yonder. And notice... He says, we'll go yonder to worship. Now, Abraham had sacrificed before. Abraham knew what it took to sacrifice. He knew that he would have to lay his son on an altar of wood. He knew he would have to take a knife and slice his son's throat open. He knew he would have to take that same knife and literally divide his son into two pieces. He knew he would have to burn the remains of his son in an act of sacrifice. But when Abraham got to the place where he was going to sacrifice Isaac, he did not call it sacrifice. He did not call it the unthinkable. He did not call it unreasonable. But because Abraham was in relationship with God, Abraham said, we're going yonder to worship. In other words, Abraham said, I don't understand, God, why you're requiring me to do this. And I don't understand, God, why I'm having to do this. And it doesn't make sense to me. And I don't understand it. And it's unthinkable. And it's unreasonable. But because of my relationship, I'm just going to lift my hands and call it worship. 
See, what I'm going through right now doesn't dictate my worship. It may dictate my praise, but it does not dictate my worship. The problems I'm facing, they never will dictate my worship. And what I'm going through right now doesn't make me worship Him. My relationship with Him is what makes me worship Him. In Job, the first chapter, we find a man that the Bible calls perfect and upright. Scripture records that he feared God and he hated evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His substance was that of 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he was the greatest of all the men of the east, and he had a great household. But in one day, everything that was listed in these three scriptures was gone. The enemy, Jesus tells us in the New Testament, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's exactly what he did to Job. Everything Job had was either stolen, killed, or destroyed in a matter of mere moments. What would Job do now? I've often thought to myself, what would I have done in that situation? Because I've had bad days, but thank God I've never had a day like that where everything I had in life was gone in one moment. What would we do? I dare say most of us would start, would stop, start asking God and questioning God and maybe blaming God. And, and we would probably start saying, well, God, I don't deserve this. I've been too good to you, God. I've been faithful, God. I I pay my tithes and my offerings. I come to church every time the doors are open. God, why are you doing this to me? Why have you taken everything from me? But that's not what Job did. The Bible says in Job, the first chapter, verse number 20, Job arose, he rent his mantle, he shaved his head in a sign of mourning and grief, and he fell down upon the ground and the Bible says that he, he didn't praise God. Because I promise you he didn't feel like praising God at that moment. But because of the relationship that Job had with God, he said, the Bible says he fell on his face and he worshiped God. And he said, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. See, my relationship with him is greater than what I'm going through right now. What Job is saying is, I may not feel like praising God right now because everything I have is gone. I may not feel like praising Him right now because all ten of my children have died. I may not feel like praising Him right now. I've lost some things and I've lost my praise, but I will never lose my worship. I'm stepping out of what I'm going through right now and I'm stepping in to worship because of my relationship with him. In 
In the New Testament, there was a demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes, and he had lost everything. He had lost his mind because the Bible says that the unclean spirits would drive him into the wilderness. He had lost his family because Scripture records that he was living in the tombs. He had lost everything, his family, his job, his home, everything. He had lost his clothes because the the Word of God tells us that he didn't wear any. He had lost his peace and his rest because the Bible tells us that he was crying out day and night. He had lost his sanity because he was cutting himself with stones. As a matter of fact, the townspeople would try to corral him and control him by binding him with shackles and chains. But those 6,000 spirits that were inside of him were so powerful that they would cause him to break the chains and smash the shackles. The enemy had taken everything from him. The enemy had taken his praise. But there was one thing that the enemy could not take from him. Because the Bible records in Mark, the fifth chapter, in verse number six, that when he saw Jesus from afar off, this man that broke chains, this man that ripped his clothes off, this man that lived in the wilderness, this man that the demons had wrecked his life, the Bible says as soon as the sandal-clad foot of Jesus hit the shore of the Gadarenes, that man went running to Jesus, and he fell down, and he worshipped him. See, the devil-possessed man had lost everything, but there was one thing he still had. He still had his worship. The enemy may take some things from you. He may take your praise. He may take your stuff. He may take your things, but he can never take your worship tonight because your worship is rooted and grounded in your relationship with your Savior tonight. Oh, I wish somebody that you're going through something tonight. I wish somebody that's had a horrible week. I wish somebody that's facing uncertainty. I wish somebody that was sick in their body. Somebody that's facing financial woes. You would just lift your hands and say, God, I don't really feel like praising you right now. But because of my relationship, I'll still worship you. See, I believe that God wants to take someone to another level tonight that praise will never get you to. I believe that God wants to take this church to another level tonight that praise will never get us to. He inhabits the praises of His people. And praise will get you into His presence. But worship will get you into His relationship. We need to step out of our flesh tonight because you can praise God in your flesh, but you cannot worship God in your flesh. Flesh likes praise because it feels good, but flesh does not like to worship because worship will cost you some things in your life. Is there anybody in this service tonight 
that you want to step out of your flesh and you want to step out of your circumstances tonight and say, I'm not just here to praise God. I'm not here just to go through the motions, but I came on a Sunday night with things wrong in my life and problems in my life, and I'm coming to worship Him tonight. We need to step into a level of worship and relationship that praise will never get us to. If we want to go to another level in Him, it's going to come through worship. If the church is going to another level in Him, which I believe that is your pastor's desire and that is God's desire, it's only going to come through our relationship and our worship to Him tonight. See, worship says, my life may be in shambles, but he's still worthy. Worship says, my marriage may be shattered, but he's still worthy. Worship says, the doctor may have given me a bad report, but he's still worthy. Worship says, my body doesn't feel like praising him tonight, but worship says, he is still worthy. You know something I've learned about worshipers? Worshippers don't backslide. I don't think I've ever seen a true worshiper backslide. Because true worshipers aren't just living in a moment of praise. True worshipers are living in a lifetime of worship and relationship with Him. Praise is something we do, but worship is something that we live. Praise is an action, but worship is a lifestyle. Man says to praise God, but God says for man to worship Him. And you know something else I've learned through traveling this country? We have become professional praisers, but we have become weak worshipers. Not everybody is called to preach. Not everybody's called to teach. Not everybody's called to sing or play. But we are all, every single one of us in this house, are called to be worshipers. Praise needs music to move, but worship just needs a move of His Spirit. Praise needs a beat, but worship just needs to be in His presence tonight. If you want to see revival and harvest... Step into a realm of worship. If you want to see the miraculous in every service, step into a realm of worship. If you want to see the supernatural become natural, then we need to step into a realm of worship. Praise gets us into His presence, but worship gets us into a different level with Him through our relationship. That's what He came to seek and to save, and it was our worship and our relationship with About a year and a half ago, I was honored and humbled to travel to the country of Papua New Guinea. Many of you probably don't even know where that's at. It's a small Pacific island north of the continent of Australia. And what I witnessed in those few days there preaching that conference changed my life. There... I witnessed people that were poor. Now, I know we joke around and say we're poor, but the poorest in America are rich compared to those people. These people came from all over that island 
traveling many by, for hours, some by days, some on foot, some uh, by horse-drawn or, or oxen-drawn uh, wagons. They came by the back of uh, pickup trucks on motorcycles, any way they could get to this conference. Many of them only had the clothes that were on their back. I, I remember seeing the, the people, and many of them would have the same outfit on, on the day service, the night service, the day service, the night. Every service they had the same outfit on because that's all they had. Many of them didn't even have shoes on their feet. They would come, and where we had church at, they would sleep. Uh, we would have church, and then they would eat, and then they would lay blankets down on the floor uh, where we had church at, and that's where they would sleep. Why? Because they had a hunger for God. And if you can begin showing those pictures, I brought, I brought a few pictures with me to show. I don't know if it's going to work, but if it will. Those people... I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there are no pews in that church. That picture, the power went out right in the middle of the service. And, you know, when power goes out in America, we close down shop. Those people never missed a beat. They just kept worshiping God. There's no pews in that church. There's no walls in that church. There's no heat, no air conditioning. Animals would just come walking into the service. The, there was no carpet. It's just dirt floors with a little bit of straw. And what I witnessed in that country, I didn't witness a whole lot of shouting and dancing. I didn't witness a whole lot of praise going on. Yeah, they praised God. Yeah, they worshiped. Or they, they shouted a little bit. They, they, there was a few that danced. There was a few that did their thing. But every single service, every single service, without a preacher having to beg them, Many times before the preacher even got done, I witnessed those people from Papua New Guinea as they would come, many of them living in shacks without running water or electricity, many of them with no food to eat, the only clothes they had on their back, and they, many of them barefooted. And I watched as they would come down to an altar, and they would lay some of them flat on their face, and they would get dirty, and they would get straw in their clothes. And you know what? None of those things mattered to them. The only thing that mattered to them was they were worshiping their Savior. And I thought to myself, how selfish are we that we are blessed with the best here in America. We've got plenty of food to eat and clothes to wear. We've got air conditioning. We've got electricity. We've got comfortable pews and carpet. We've got everything that we could need in life. But over there, there's people that don't have anything to put their trust or hope in but a Savior. And they'll come to a service and they'll worship Him regardless of what they're going through, regardless of what they're facing in their life. And I came back to America with a desire that God, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the service is, no matter what I'm facing in my life, you are worthy of my worship. Not because of what I'm going through, not because of the blessings, but because of my relationship with you tonight. You know something else that I've learned about worshipers? Worshippers don't need an altar call. Worshippers make altar calls. So I wonder tonight as we all stand across this house, 
I wonder. Mason, I don't, I don't feel like we need any music right now because I believe we use music as a crutch too many times in services. And we like to just go by the beat of the music. But I don't want there to be any music right now. I don't want us to have that crutch to rely on. But I think what God wants in this service tonight, He wants the true worshipers to arise. He's wanting people that didn't come just to put on a show. That didn't just come to go through the motions. That didn't just come to praise God. But they came with a worship inside of them because they are in relationship with their Savior tonight. So I wonder, can we just turn this place into a place of worship for just a little while? You can come to an altar. You can walk around the building. You can lay down on the floor. You can kneel down. You can sit down in your pew. Whatever it is you're comfortable doing. But I wish that there would be a cry of worship that would arise from this house tonight. Come on, don't pray about anything right now. Don't pray for this or that. Don't don't make any supplications or requests known right now. Just worship Him because of your relationship. Because here's what will happen. When we begin to worship Him, God will begin moving in our life. We don't even have to ask for some things when we just worship Him because God will begin to work in our situations because He'll work through our worship tonight. Oh, come on, somebody that's been going through it this week. Come on, somebody that's gotten a bad doctor's report. Somebody that's had financial issues. Somebody that's having marital problems or family problems. I wish you would push through all that's going wrong in your life and you would just worship him. And on the flip side of that, maybe everything's going good in your life and it would be easy for you to praise Him. But I wish you would take it a step further past praise and you would say, God, I'm not just here to praise you. I'm here to worship you tonight. I worship you, God. I worship you for who you are. I worship you, God, because of the relationship that I'm in. Come on, that's it. Come on, let there be a worship that resounds in this house tonight. Let there be a worship cry that goes forth in this place tonight. Come on, worshipers, don't just come and go through the motions for two or three minutes and they're done. Worship moves into a realm that we don't know about. Worship moves into a realm that we're, that's untapped. Worship moves into a realm and says, I'm not here just to go through the motions and play games. I'm not here to put on a show. I'm here for the audience of one, and that is my Savior tonight. I worship you because you're holy. I worship you because you're worthy. I worship you because of my relationship with you. Oh, yes, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. The time is that the Father is looking for those that will worship him 
in spirit and in truth. Come on, where are the worshipers? Worship him. God's here right now and he's looking at First Apostolic Church of Carmel, Mount Carmel, Illinois, and he's wondering, are there any worshipers in this house? Are there any worshipers in this city? Are there any worshipers in this community? Come on, that's it. Don't pray for anybody. Don't pray for anything. Just worship Him. Just worship Him.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.